Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Things Episcopal, where we talk about everything and anything related to the Episcopal Church. This podcast was designed with young people in mind, so ages specifically 18 to 39. And it's a place to learn more about the Christian faith, um, specifically through the Episcopal lens. With this podcast in particular, we're going to offer a variety of ways to learn about the Episcopal Church. Some of these learning opportunities will come through conversations and interviews, sermons, and the reading of the daily office. We'll talk a little bit about that. We also want you to know that while we love our clergy, we also cherish the ministry of the laity. The laity, as our Book of Common Prayer says, is to represent Christ and His Church, to bear witness to Him wherever they are, and according to the gifts given to them, to carry on Christ's work of reconciliation in the world, and to take their place in the life, worship, and governance of the Church which is why we have laity represented in the planning and production of this podcast, along with clergy. We also deeply care about this podcast being a representation of the whole body of Christ, which means you're going to hear from a diverse group of voices. So in traditional Episcopal greeting fashion, the Lord be with you. And also with you. And also with you. Hey friends, welcome back to All Things Episcopal. Today is a really neat episode in that we are going to be talking about the belovedness of members of the LGBTQIA community and the Episcopal Church's work towards inclusivity for all of God's children. We're going to hear uh, two stories, one from a member of the clergy and one from a member of the laity. Before we begin, I want to introduce a couple of dates and pieces of history uh, within the Episcopal Church surrounding um, the topic of the intersection of uh, sexual orientation and uh, faith-based community and the Episcopal Church. At General Convention in 1976, there were resolutions that were adopted stating that Persons that were homosexual are children of God who have full and equal claim with other persons upon the love, acceptance, and pastoral concern and care of the church, and that they are entitled to equal protection of the laws with other citizens. In addition to that, in 1994, General Convention amended the church's canons to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation providing equal access to the rights and worships of the Episcopal Church, including ordination. Nine years later, in the Diocese of New Hampshire, they elected the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church, the Right Reverend Gene Robinson. And this was one of the more contentious points in our church history. However, in 2009, Trans-Episcopal, a group dedicated to fostering the full embrace of trans and non-binary people in the life and worship of the Episcopal Church, sent its full delegation to the convention. So as you can tell, over the years, we have worked hard and discerned very intentionally to be more inclusive and to love God's children, regardless 
of who they are and whom they may love. Today, we are joined by Father David Wilcox, who is the youth missioner for the Diocese of West Missouri. And he also happens to be an openly gay priest, and he's going to share his story and journey to the Episcopal Church and what it means to be a beloved child of God. Father David, I let I leave it to you. Thanks, Claire. Um, so I guess to start um, pretty early, I um, grew up Roman Catholic, and from as long as I can remember, I always felt called to be a priest. Um, and so when I never took interest in uh, girls growing up, I thought, oh, it's because like, I know I'm going to be celibate for the rest of my life. And that's, that's cool. Um, but as I um, kind of came of age and was in high school, I started to realize that I wasn't, uh, that I wasn't interested in girls, not because I was called to be a celibate priest for the rest of my life, but because I was uh gay. And that was something that was really hard for me to, to come to terms with. Um, in the midst of that, I also um, discovered the Eastern Orthodox Church and fell in love with the, the beauty uh, of the Eastern liturgy and theology. And so I left the Roman Church and became uh, Eastern Orthodox um, and kind of worked my way back into the closet a little bit um, and just kind of tried to set all of those that those burgeoning realizations aside um, until I just couldn't anymore. Um, and over the next couple of years, I, I became more comfortable with myself as a, as a gay person, um, opened up about it, came out to my family and friends and eventually to my priest um, and realized that for the sake of my integrity, I could no longer remain in the Orthodox Church um, because the Orthodox Church, like the Roman Catholic Church, teaches that LGBTQ people are, um, by nature of their orientation, called to be celibate. Um, and that was not a place where I was anymore. And so, despite my deep love for the Church, um, a strong faith, faith and uh, a firm conviction um, that I was called to ordain ministry, I, I walked away from it all um, for about a year and a half until Lent came around and I uh, felt the need to do something. Um, but I knew I couldn't go back to the Orthodox Church and I knew I couldn't go back to the Roman Catholic Church. And that's when I found the Episcopal Church and I started doing a ton of reading. I knew that they were more inclusive um, and that they had come to that place not simply by ignoring what scripture said or um, by saying we just don't care about that and we're going to be inclusive for the sake of being inclusive but that they had actually done some deep theological work on the issue um, if you want to read more about that that, that document is called to set our hope on Christ um, and it was released as the Episcopal Church's official response to um, the infamous Lambeth Conference uh, Resolution 110, um, which kind of set the stage on the global Anglican communion level for the splits that would come in the early 2000s. Um, I think that Lambeth Conference was 1998. So I had read to set our hope on Christ, um, 
and finally got the courage up to to, to go explore the uh, Episcopal Church and walked into Grace and Holy Trinity Cathedral for a weekday Eucharist um, and met some fabulous uh, clergy um, who are still serving in our diocese. And um, over time, they helped me become comfortable um, being who I was as a Christian who happened to be gay, um, not letting that be a barrier to my relationship with God or to my life and the church. Um, and about a year later, I was received into the Episcopal Church um, and it made my home at uh, St. Mary's, Kansas City. Um, it's interesting, right after, I think really right after I, I, I kind of had made up my mind to join the Episcopal Church, um, the Supreme Court decision legalizing same-sex marriage came out. And um, that was also a summer that happened to have a general convention. And I remember um, being in church on Sunday morning after that general convention and the priest announcing that the Episcopal Church had voted to extend um, marriage to all people, regardless of their sexual orientation, and the amount of emotion that that generated in me, but in the whole community, because St. Mary's uh, is one of our parishes that has always been had a uh, had been has been a, a very inclusive place, um, and so that was just so moving. Um, but over time, as I made my home in the Episcopal Church and became more comfortable with who I was. Uh, as a Christian and as a gay man, um, I ended up um, discerning a call to ordained ministry, um, meeting the man who's now my husband, um, who, um, and then going to seminary um, and navigating a long distance relationship uh, in the middle of the global pandemic. Um, but Zach and I have now been married for just over a year, and I am about three weeks out from my ordination as a priest um, and about two months into my work uh, as the diocesan youth missioner. And it has just been a wonderful, wonderful journey um, that I never thought was possible um, growing up. And so I am deeply grateful for the, for the work that the Episcopal Church has done to, to do the hard work to engage um, with the promptings of the spirit um, not to be inclusive for the sake of being inclusive, but to to really listen to where the Spirit is calling us to be um, and to be a place where all people can embrace Jesus's call uh, to follow him, um, to come to know him and grow in relationship with him. Um, you know, I think it's so beautiful that we're a church that says no matter who you are, no matter how you identify, no matter who you love, God still loves you and is calling you to hear Jesus's call to follow him and to love the world as he loves us. Now, I mean, we there we are not probably exactly where we need to be. I mean, the church takes a while um, to catch up with all this. And um, I know that institutionally um, there are still barriers, um, but I think if I could say anything to 
to people who are still questioning whether God loves them because of how they identify or who they love or what their place in the church is. It's you belong um, because you are a person who is created in the image and likeness of God and whom God calls to be in relationship with God's self. Um, and the Episcopal Church is here for you. Um, and we want you to be able to find your home with us. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of where I, that's kind of what I had planned to say. I'm clear if you have any questions or anything that you want to follow up on, please feel free. Well, Father David, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, that is not something that we take lightly when people share their stories. Um, I do have a couple of questions. Um, one is a, a theological question. So I heard you say several times over that we aren't a church that is inclusive to be inclusive, but we have actively discerned spiritually and theologically on what it means to be inclusive of members of the LGBTQIA community. Are there particular scriptures that um, you are moved by um, in the context of the intersection of um, sexual orientation and faith or um, theological rationale? So I I can't say that there were particular scriptures um, that I was moved by in that in that discernment. Um, but one thing that stuck out to me in reading the document to set our hope on Christ was the idea that covenant of covenanted relationship, um, and that marriage in our understanding, even before we, before we went to the place where we endorsed same sex marriage was not primarily about keeping us out of sin or for procreation, it was about uh, mutual support and love based on a covenanted relationship. And that that was one of the big shifts that happened in between the 1928 and 1979 prayer books in our understanding of marriage as a church um, writ large. Um, and that really spoke to me. And the idea that holiness is seen in, in, you know, faithful, loving, same-sex relationships just as much as it is in um, um, heterosexual relationships. Um, and the idea that, you know, one of the first things God says in scripture is it's not good for man to be alone. And that comes way before the command to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and that we are built to be people in relationship um, with others. Um, and for most of us, that means um, a, a intimate romantic relationship, although it doesn't mean that for everybody. Uh, celibacy is still a valued call in the life of the church, and I don't think our monastic brothers and sisters and siblings get enough credit there. Um, and yes, the Episcopal Church does have uh, monks and nuns and brothers and sisters, but that's another tangent. Um, and so that we're called to be in relationship and that those, and that a same sex relationship can mirror the love of Christ in the same way that a heterosexual relationship with 
kids and a, a big family can. Um, those were all things that, that that document pointed out and were very moving to me and kind of were like hit me over the head like, well, duh, it can be that way. But like that was not that was not something that I had ever thought about before um, coming from the theological tradition that I came from where the primary good of marriage was always procreation. And then, oh yeah, it also keeps you from sinning because um, it gives you like a okay place to express those um, desires. Um, but it just, it made so much more sense. And I was like, well, of course. Um, but I think in terms of a scripture passage that, you know, it's not good for a man to be alone comes way before be fruitful and multiply. And that the primary good of relationship is, is mutual support and love and joy. Um, and that that's for all people who feel called to that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, as, as you were talking, I was, I was deeply moved that you focused on a church document rather than focusing on, um, the question about scripture, because right after I had asked that I had recognized, Oh my gosh, this could actually be weaponized um, by using a specific piece of scripture. So I'm glad that you focused on a, a specific document within the church that affirms the belovedness of members of the LGBTQIA community. So thank you um, for that. And um, for our listeners on the podcast, like this is real time learning. Um, I am, I'm learning just as much as you all are as listeners. Um, so I appreciate that redirection, Father David. Well, thank you so much, uh, Father David, for your time and your wisdom. And we are blessed to have you as our youth missioner. If you would, would you um, close us out in prayer? I'd be happy to. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Loving God, we come before you today and we thank you for the diversity and beauty of your creation. We ask you forgiveness for the ways in which the church has marginalized and wounded those on the periphery, those who don't always fit the mold that we think Christians should fit. We thank you for those brave people who forged ahead, listening to the promptings of your spirit to do the work that has allowed us to be a church with arms outstretched for all, mirroring the example of Jesus's outstretched arms on the cross. I ask you in your goodness to touch the hearts of those who might be struggling to know your love. Let them feel that love, that you love them just as they are and that you welcome them to this place as a place to follow and know you. And I ask that you bring us all in due time to your heavenly kingdom, where we might, with all those courageous witnesses who have gone before, enjoy your presence forever. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the next story that we hear is Justin Smith's story. 
and their journey to the Episcopal Church and the development of their faith. And um, they are also a member of the Lady and a member of St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Kansas City, Missouri. So I hope that you are inspired and enriched by their story as I have been and others have been. The journey of navigating through my faith and reconciling it with my sexual identity has been a long process that has taken me on a roller coaster of highs and lows, peaks and valleys, and through a formative process that has both taken me away from God, yet has also brought me closer to them. I can remember being different from the time I was around six years old. I was a boy who loved playing with Barbies, putting on my mom's heels, and planning weddings for my dogs. As I started to grow older, I found myself being attracted to men. This inclination was just something that sort of happened. There was no event or traumatic experience that formed me or persuaded me to feel this way, as many people unfamiliar with same-sex attraction might think. I did not grow up in a very religious family, yet there were strong opinions about homosexuality, and it most definitely was not accepted. The fear of being different and the fear that being gay was wrong led me to suppress my attractions and desire for the same sex. When I was around eight, I had a monumental experience that initiated the faith that I have now. Attending my cousin's church started a lifelong journey to find Christ and grow in a deep and loving relationship with Him. I started attending the Roman Catholic Church when I was 13, the same year that my father had died from a heroin overdose. Following deeper in love with God and all things related to the church, I continued to struggle with my sexuality. The Catholic Church uses the terminology to describe homosexuality as something both impure and intrinsically disordered. What this means for them, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is that homosexuality, by its very nature, is considered morally corrupt as part of the fall of humankind from grace when sin entered the world. Having knowledge of this and being deeply in love with the Church, it led me to continue to suppress my feelings even deeper as time went on. Homosexual acts are considered by Catholics to be a grave sin, or in other words, a mortal sin, which cuts a person off from grace or severs their relationship with God. This being my reality, I found it a challenge my entire time spent in Catholicism to keep free from sin. Even a thought about the same sex, let alone sex in general, was considered impure. I found myself constantly in private confession, confessing the same sins over and over again, feeling guilty and depraved for something that I could not help or had any power to control. So many times I did not receive Holy Communion out of the fear I was not in the state of grace to receive the sacrament. In the meantime, I was in a place where I felt called to ordained ministry. At the age of 16, I embarked on a path into the discernment process. This was one of the happiest times of my life. There were many reasons I felt called to a life of service to the church, but one reason I came to this decision was through a poor understanding that going into ordained ministry could somehow redeem me from my homosexuality. If I was not allowed to express a gay identity, my only option were to be single my entire life or choose a path such as the priesthood and religious life, if I wanted to be of use to God and to the church. Needless to say, the vocations committee could see that I was suppressing my homosexuality and chose to abruptly end the discernment process, as the Catholic Church feels very strongly that pedophilia is related to homosexuality. I did not give up, however, on the idea of religious life at this time, and it took me on a path to enter a men's religious community in Chicago that followed the Augustinian rule. I was with this community for a period of a year after graduating high school at 18. 
A great deal of my spiritual formation was contributed to living with the brothers, but ultimately my homosexual attraction continued. I struggled and I longed for an intimate relationship with a partner, and I left after becoming increasingly depressed. As time went on, I was finding it harder and harder to hide my sexuality and identity as a queer man. This brought me to work harder to adhere to ultra-conservative views on political issues, fostering internalized homophobia and forcing myself to date women, which led to my engagement to a woman I had dated for three years, only to break it off shortly after our engagement. These years were filled with very little joy and real happiness. I was growing increasingly more depressed about my condition in life, resorting to several suicide attempts, one of which landed me in a hospital for a while. In 2014, I had reached my breaking point, or my quarter-life crisis as I would call it. I had been driven to a point of revelation that if I wanted to continue to stay alive, I was going to need to reevaluate my beliefs and come to terms that either God loved me as I am, as a queer person, or that I was in fact condemned to hell and had to be okay with that reality. Coming out to my friends and family was one of the hardest and scariest things I have ever had to do in my life. For over 12 years, I had carried a deep, shameful secret and prayed for God to cure me of my homosexuality was not working anymore. I spent several months coming to terms with what I was about to do. I wrote numerous letters that I then discarded. I attempted phone calls and conversations but could not reveal my secret. I prayed and prayed for strength or a miracle that I would somehow be saved from it all. It took me a great amount of time to even say the word gay. I finally was able to tell one or two people that I was gay, and they took it decently well, but I still could not confess to my church community as I knew what was going to happen when I did. I was living in a place in life where I felt more misery and anguish than I had ever felt in my life up until then. My church support and network consisted of deeply devout Catholics that belonged to large homeschool families with very conservative values and opinions on the ideal way of life. Not knowing where the courage came from, I finally decided to just rip the Band-Aid off and come clean to them and both my immediate and extended family. The responses I received were varied, but the ultimate theme overall was rejection, just as I had expected. I was prayed for, I was reasoned with, I was called disgusting. I was even told that I would end up sorry and on the street for choosing this lifestyle. I was uninvited to people's events in their homes, and people did not want me around their children. I was told I was turning my back on God. It was the typical love the sinner, hate the sin position. The only thing I could do to escape this environment was to stop communication with everyone and move back in with my mother. The next couple of years, I dismissed religion and tried to find a new way of life. These years were dark, hollow, empty, and uncertain. I was navigating a path without a support network and without the way of life I had known for so many years. I was in a spiritual desert, seemingly without a light to guide my path. One of those years, I had some of my former friends reach out to me and invite me back to church on Good Friday. By this time, I had missed church in my community so much, I wanted anything to reconnect with them. This experience turned out to be deeply traumatic, be a deeply traumatic moment in my journey to healing. Not only was I essentially coerced to go to private confession when I got to the church, but I then participated in the three-hour liturgy and was made to watch the Passion of the Christ and pray the rosary. While preparing for prayer, the people kept talking about my lust as I was trying to describe being drawn to love another man. They then prayed for me. Why did I tolerate this and why did I subject myself to this? I really do not know. It was really all a blur, 
and I was at such a low point that I didn't have much strength to say no to them. After this experience, I felt numb and as if I never wanted to step foot in a church again after that. Then it was kind of like a glimmer at the bottom of the ocean. I felt a pull to look for a new community. I came across St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Kansas City, and it was attractive to me. The similarities with Roman Catholicism intrigued me, and so I decided to reach out to David Wilcox on Facebook, who some of you may now know him as Father David Wilcox. He had gone, or We had conversations about God, the church, and being gay. I started praying again, even though it was challenging to converse with God, and I eventually visited the Episcopal Church. It was after a lot of contemplation that I found that the Episcopal Church, with its Catholic tradition and a Reformed approach, aligned better with my beliefs about God. I found hope and a sense of belonging in the Episcopal Church. A little while after learning more about St. Mary's, I talked with the rector at that time and decided to be received into the Episcopal Church. It was not long after that I moved to Kansas City and became roommates with David. As a new Episcopalian, I went through a process of shedding bad Catholic theology and delving into Anglicanism. I faced many challenges that first year. However, I found grace and acceptance in building the lifelong friendships I have at St. Mary's, and I again found a supportive community that helped me through these difficult times. The reasons why I feel at home in the Episcopal Church are plentiful, but I will try to put them into a summary. The diverse and welcoming community has allowed me to meet different people and learn about the gospel in a way that is open, inviting, and transformative. I have been provided with employment in the church, and I have been empowered to lead and facilitate ministries as an openly queer person. Throughout my faith journey, the relationships I have formed have been crucial. The compassion I have received from those who love me has sustained me through my reconnection with the faith. It was the year after I came out that the church made the decision to follow the Supreme Court ruling and allowed for same-sex couples to have access to the sacrament of marriage. It was a big step for the church to come to this theological decision that same-sex couples were not simply blessed by the church, but they were welcome and invited into the full sacramental life of the church. This was profound to me. I went from a tradition that barred people from the sacraments right and left for a plethora of reasons to a new tradition that was inclusive and inviting. I have felt accepted in my queer identity, and not only does it feel liberating, but it has taken away the shame and guilt I had for being attracted to men. In the Episcopal Church, I am free to pursue loving relationships, community, and ministry in a way that I was not allowed to before. I do not have to try to live up to ridiculously high standards and ideals in the Episcopal Church as I did in Catholicism. I am free to come as I am and experience the joy and love of God in the people and through the sacraments. I love being a part of a church that meets me where I am and does not legislate or create a transactional relationship with God. Simply put, I love being a part of a church that emphasizes grace. If I was asked the question of how the church could do better in its mission to minister to queer people and other ostracized groups, I would say this. Is the Episcopal Church perfect? No. The church is made up of people and people make mistakes. The church has not always been kind or friendly towards the queer community. But the great thing about the Episcopal Church is that it is conscientious of the past and how the Spirit is currently moving in it. It is mindful of how to reach the people of the modern world. By being fully aware of the people, it is open to adjusting its language to meet the needs of the marginalized. It is open to having conversations about its theology and what most represents Christ through its practices. 
It seeks to not hold onto outdated and antiquated positions that both exclude people or is unrealistic of our human nature. If anything that the church could do to better in its ministry is to continue to listen to the little voices of the people in its care. The leaders of the church should be open to take an approach that does not try to overpower these marginalized voices or speak for or in place of these groups of people. It should be open to hearing from the people by listening to what they need from the church and how to best bring us to God and God to us. If the church wants to continue to be a place for all people, it needs it needs to let these voices speak. The church should also not be afraid to create a form identity and position of who it is and what it represents. People today need a church that is solid in its beliefs and is a safe place to come to and help us navigate through the ever-changing world around us. The church can remain inclusive, listen, and adapt, yet still be a firm rock for people to anchor their lives to. I have found refreshment, light, grace, and peace in the arms of the Episcopal Church. The acceptance by the community and the love that it represents is a joy that I hope to share with all people. I am so thankful and happy to be a part of the church that strives to bring Christ and the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, thank you so much, friends, for listening uh, to this second to last episode of All Things Episcopal. Um, We hope that you have enjoyed hearing the stories of one clergy person's journey to the Episcopal Church and one lay person's uh, journey to the Episcopal Church and their belovedness and the gifts that they bring uh, to the Episcopal Church as members of the LGBTQIA community. Go forth in peace to love and serve the Lord. Hey, friends. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about all things Episcopal, visit campusministry.dioestmo.org backslash all things Episcopal. All Things Episcopal podcast is a production of the Diocese of West Missouri in association with Resonant Media. The Lord be with you all.